0: So that's it for Scruffy this morning. Um, we'll, we'll bring, you know, Scruffy comes out every now and then. He comes to church with us and so forth. So we have a lot of fun with Scruffy. And like I said earlier, this morning we're going to be um, in Zechariah 9.9. We're going to go ahead and do Palm Sunday. Because it has been um, 550 years that uh, Zechariah was wrote before Palm Sunday happened. And it's amazing that it is this specific of a prophecy, uh, five hundred and fifty years before it happened, that he was so on task. And he says in verse nine, "Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion! Shout, daughter Jerusalem! See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey." Why don't we pray as we get into the uh, the sermon this morning, as we've already read some of the scripture? Dear Lord, I thank you so much for. Uh, for people who, like Zechariah and, and many others throughout history that have followed you, who have followed you on, um, on, on just being obedient on their everyday life and everything that they do. We pray that, uh, that you teach us this morning that this is a lesson that many of us have heard over the years before, you know, over and over on Palm Sunday. But, but Lord, make it meaningful to us this year. We need your hope. We need to, to know that you are in control. We need to know that you love us, and you truly do, Lord. And I pray that we feel that through this sermon, through this word, and that you speak through this, and not be about me. In your loving name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, we are getting to a point where we need to be thinking of Jesus all week. We're, you know, we're fixing to celebrate his death, which is a weird concept. And until you think about the shedding of a, of his blood and how he how he saved us, you know, that he rose from the dead, guaranteeing eternal life for those who believe. Uh, in a sense, this is the time to be obnoxious to your friends, to irritate your friends, in a good way, of course, because, you know, you were talking about your Savior here. Uh, you were talking about the one who came and laid down his life for you. So think about this. It is the spring of AD 30, and you were one of Jesus' disciples, and you're following him around You've been on a six month trip throughout Israel, uh, the Judean area and Samaria, down or up in the Galilee area. Uh, and, and it's almost like a final tour of everything, like a final tour, even Jerusalem. And Jesus' popularity is off the charts. I mean, he's famous for many things, especially his interesting take on scriptures. He, he, he preaches scripture as if he wrote it. <laughs> Uh, you know you you, you've heard he would say stuff like well you have heard it taught like this but let me tell you what it really means they can't believe that this Galilean rabbi is bringing correction to all these stiff-necked these rigid these these interpretation of scripture wise rabbis in Jerusalem Jesus is coming with the people's gospel he tells stories and it delights the kids. It it confuses those that are that are scholars. You know, and stories like the likes of a man with seeds goes out to plant, and the birds get some, and the vines get some. Another story about a vineyard owner who leaves town, and he leaves his money, and he wants to return. Uh, he wants a return on his money when he comes back. And then he tells a story about, about a wedding where the bride is waiting in the middle of the night, and five women are ready, and five are not. And then there's a, a banquet where people don't come. They don't show up. And the master says, go invite the common people. The crowds would just cheer. They loved the stories. You know, stories, uh, other stories, like there's a lost coin of a woman, uh, and a woman is looking for it. And, and the lost lamb and the shepherd goes out and is looking for him. And, you know, the lost son, uh, you know, where dad stands on the side of the road, longing for a son. And that spoiled brat, stubborn, simple, bucket head of a son, he comes home. And dad is there with open arms, and he's happy. He says, let's throw a party. Jesus comes to communicate a God they know, but that they really didn't know. Then he has a private time with his students, his apprentices, his disciples. One time he pulls a couple aside, and, and he is praying, and they say, well, Jesus, We know all the prayers that have been taught us because they've been taught a lot of prayers, when to kneel, when to stand up, but it feels dead to us. Teach us how to pray, how you pray. He says, okay, and he prays like this. Dad, our Father, your name is holy. Bring your kingdom to this earth, your will to this earth. Not our will, but your will. Get us out of trouble. Deliver us from the evil one. Help us forgive others that are, you know, like you were forgiving us. For yours is the power and the glory. We worship you, O God. Now, again, that was my interpretation of the Lord's Prayer. But, you you know, you you get the idea, but, but they are so astonished. So they meander around Galilee towards Samaria, and Jesus has been working these powerful miracles. In the last six months, he does all these things, and he's right up to the edge of the border of Galilee area, and these 10 lepers come to him, and he heals them all. He's coming down through Samaria to Jericho, and he is on the outskirts of the city. Two blind men cry out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. He turns and gives them their sight. He goes to Bethany, where his friend Lazarus lives, or lived. He'd been dead for four years. Jesus calls into the tomb, into the grave, where the dead body was, and out comes Lazarus, raised from the dead by Jesus himself. Not only a Galilean rabbi, but a miracle-working son of God. Jesus worked so many miracles that the Pharisees made a ruling, actually, They said that healing was actually his occupation, therefore, he needs to quit healing people on the Sabbath. What kind of rules is this? Jesus does the exact opposite. Not only does he ignore it, he heals even more people on the Sabbath than any other day of the week. He says, you've got it backwards. Sabbath was made for man, not God. If any of you, you know, has a goat and it falls into a ditch and, and you break Sabbath rules by retrieving it, you know, you're not going to wait around till sunset when the, the goat is half dead. All I am doing is healing children on the Sabbath. But you love your goat more than this old lady. Now, as Jesus' popularity increases... He becomes more and more of a threat, a threat to the religious leaders, the political elite, the wealthy men who are governing Israel. Jesus makes these guys very nervous. They convene these special meetings in Jerusalem. You know, uh, one one of the meetings, someone pipes up and says, well, if we leave him alone, then everyone who who will believe in him, then Rome will step in and, and we'll have even more trouble. Jesus knows these guys are gunning for him, trying to trap him. Yet in the final 6 months, the intensity of his verbal attacks against those hypocritical religious leaders increases. One of the confrontations is recorded in Matthew 23:1. The whole chapter cries out against scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders. You know, he's basically saying, "They're talking about you, you hypocrites." To the people, he says, do as they say, not as they do, because they don't do it themselves. They pile all these rules and laws, these regulations on you, but then you don't, but, but then they don't lift a finger to help you figure out how to obey. They practice their prayers for public consumption. They're on the corners praying, but they are ineffective because behind the scene, God knows that they are scheming. Oh, they tithe. But ignore everything else, stuff like justice and mercy and grace and righteousness. Well, needless to say, this type of talk enrages his enemies. They send out a religious gasapo, in a sense, to, to take notes and ask questions and, and try to trick him. To publicly say things that, uh, that he is a threat to Rome. Rome could care less about his religious uh, differences between them and and Jesus and the Jews and Jesus. But if they could paint him as an insurrectionist, then the government would start paying attention. They would do something. Jesus knew that this was going to happen. And he tries to prepare his closest friends uh, ahead of this. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest, the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and, he, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Their final stop on the way to Jerusalem is in Bethany, a cool little town on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. Some of his best friends live there. At this, you know, at the time, a man named Simon the leper hosts dinner for Jesus and his disciples, and and at that dinner, something very unusual happens, and it revolves around one of the female disciples of Jesus. They came to him uh, to this house uh, where you know the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and and on their way to Jerusalem uh, for the feast days, they stopped there. And Luke ten thirty eight it says. Uh, and this kind of gives us a better understanding of Mary here it says as Jesus and his disciples were on their way he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made she came to him and asked Lord why don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself tell her to help me Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, and indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we have Mary sitting at the Lord's feet here. And, and, and you have Mary and Martha and Lazarus, son uh, Simon the leopard and, and the disciples and many others around that kind of followed Jesus around and others in town who were coming to see what was going on because they heard about the rabbi that was there. And also to glimpse a, uh, <coughs> catch a glimpse of Lazarus who had been raised from the dead. Now, Martha was, you know, preparing and serving the food and, and just working away. And when you have people over, I mean, you know, all those little details, uh, they you know, uh, and they didn't have modern day ovens and Instapots. And, you know, it gets really crazy right before the meal. And if there are kids around, oh, man, I mean, just throw that into the mix. You know, they want to help and so forth. But Martha's wanting some adult help. She's wanting her sister to get up and quit listening to Jesus and come in here and help. But Jesus is telling us that the learning and relationship is more important here. According to John and John 12, they were sitting around the table after dinner, and Mary does something very unexpected. And they were kind of reclined out. The, the table was only like 18 inches high, and they kind of reclined down and, and eat. And Mary comes and sits down at Jesus' feet. And takes this alabaster jar of this expensive perfume and and she would break it. And, uh, you know, sometimes it would be worn around the, the necks and others were larger. They were only to be used for very special occasions. It was sealed to keep it from evaporating. And the only way to open it was to actually break it. And that's what Mary did. She broke it. This was most likely a family treasure that had been in the family for years. The contents we found out later was was worth one year's of wages. Think about that for a second. How much do you make in one year? She breaks off the top of the bottle, and immediately everybody's hearing this and watching what is going on. And the room starts to, you know, the smells of the perfume start to overpower the smells of the the food and so forth. And she pours it out over Jesus' feet. And the room is silent. Mary has taken the position of of a disciple at his feet and she anoints the feet of Jesus. The Bible says it it was about 12 ounces. Think of a soda. Kids, go run and get a soda. Okay, no, don't go go get a soda. But you know what I'm saying? It's about that size. She kept pouring and pouring. Then this fragrant oil just coming out onto his feet. And once the bottle is broken, you can't save it. It's all poured out. So as as it begins to pour out onto his feet, Mary lets her hair down and wipes up the excess oil. Now, women did not let their hair down in public as a Jewish woman at that time in history. This would have been highly inappropriate, would have been immodest, it would have been even scandalous. But this was a very intimate moment. And it probably shocked everybody in attendance. But Mary didn't care. She didn't care what was right. She didn't care what uh, her peers thought at that moment. She only cared what was right with her Lord. And Jesus sits there with Mary. And the room is filling uh, with the silence and the smell of perfume. And and Judas breaks the silence with a stern rebuke. He says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? We like to, to focus on Judas here. But Matthew tells us that many of the disciples were equally uh, equally upset uh, the waste that you know that they had just seen all the things that they could have done with that amount of money they were thinking what is this what, what is this woman thinking? What is she thinking with the waste of that why don't you know we, we don't really know mary's reaction at this point. I imagine that she became very still and very silent, probably caught her breath for a second, thinking. Was I, was I too impulsive? Here is my Lord. I think what I did was right. And then Jesus speaks in Matthew twenty six ten. He says, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, Whatever this gospel is preached, or whenever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I wonder if Mary had an inkling of what was about to happen. A woman's intuition. She loved her Lord and she was devoted to him. This was an outpouring of that love for the Lord. But I wonder if she had a true understanding of what she was doing. Jesus had told his disciples many times that he must die. She would have heard this. The disciples hadn't grasped what he was saying and because uh, you know, she seemed to have this emotional connection with Jesus. And, and men and women are different. And, and, the, you know, and the Lord made us that way. But God gave this woman a, a sense You know, women notice a raised eyebrow or a word that maybe isn't spoken or, you know, get a feel of a situation, a gut feeling, a gut instinct. God made them this way. While the disciples were, were occupied with the physical kingdom that was to come, who would sit at the right and the left and, you know, of God, and they would fight about that? Mary seemed to understand things differently. When did she start to piece things together? Was it the stirring of the spirit within her or the heaviness about what was happening to Jesus? Mary was a very confident, bold person, sitting at the feet of Jesus. She is another person's house and anoints the feet of the guest of honor. That was a duty of a slave, by the way. But she didn't care what people thought. What gave her such confidence? I think it was Jesus. He saw her. He acknowledged her. Nothing else mattered. Jesus was radical in his treatment of women. Uh, The Jewish life at that time, women could not even be taught, could not go to school, could not read the Word of God. So, ladies, put your Bibles down, leave whatever room you're sitting in. Well, okay, not really, but that was the thought of the day. There was another rabbi that taught around the same time as Jesus, and and he said, I want you to understand that the word of God, the Torah, was revered. It was taken care of. And you didn't have 10 copies of this at your house. In fact, you didn't have any copies of the word of God in your house. And this rabbi said, it would be better to burn the Torah than to entrust it into the hands of a woman. But Mary didn't care about this type of teaching. She is a disciple of Christ. And the Lord lifted her up and, you know, up in honor for her strength, even to the point where he said that this history would be spoken for all time. This anointing by this woman happened because she got it. The extravagant love, the position of a servant, a great sacrifice. There was a foreshadowing of everything Jesus was about to do. It was also how he was calling his followers and us to live a life of extravagant love, serving him and serving those around us. As we live our daily lives, pouring out a living sacrifice. You know, right now we're in extraordinary times. And everybody's preaching on the, on the coronavirus and all this kind of stuff. But, but we need to remember that God is ultimately in control, that God is the one who, who foresees the future. He knows the ups and downs of, of humankind. He knows all the different uh, viruses and, and the plagues that have uh, gone over mankind over all the years. But he wants us to live a life of extravagant love, pouring out as a living sacrifice to others. You know, the next day was uh, Sunday. All four Gospels record this event. And we will turn to Luke 19 to, to see what he says about this. Uh, verse 29. So Luke 19, verse 29, it says, or verse 28, actually. After Jesus had said this, he went on up ahead, giving a, uh, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to a village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Go ahead and steal it. I mean, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you stealing it or untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. Verse 33 is, as they were untying the colt, the owners asked him, why are you untying or stealing this uh, colt? Jesus replied, the Lord, or they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw a cloak on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near a place where the road goes down uh, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began joyfully to praise him in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is a fulfilling of what the prophet Zechariah has said that we begin with this teaching. He said in verse 9 in Zechariah 9.9 9, that I began with, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey." And then the crowd began to, to chant the song, and the song comes out of Psalms 118, verse 19, and, and, and that they, they knew you know the song it was about the Messiah, and it says, Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord from which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for they answer me, or for you answer me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected became the, become the cornerstone, the Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this in this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made the, his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join the festival the festival procession up the horns of the altar you and my god and i will praise you you are my god and i will exalt you give thanks to the lord for he is good his love endures forever it's no doubt the crowd was crying out to jesus to be their messiah they had heard him teach he had confronted illnesses he had healed people they sent him to to confront you know demons and to confront evil men having been oppressed for hundreds of years. They'd given up on the Messiah ever coming. But the last three years, hope was starting to return. This crowd believed, this is the one who will save us. Save us now, they chanted. Save us now. Save us now, Lord. John said the crowd carried palm branches as a sign to say, this is our King. This is our independence. They put their clothes down on the road before him, like, like you would for a king you loved. The Pharisees and Sadducees were not happy at all. The whole world had gone after this Jesus. The problem for them is they didn't have room in their theology for God, and it's a sad thing when that happens. They had the scripture all buttoned down. Their box, it was formed. That when Jesus came from Galilee, born to a poor family of questionable parenting, not a scholar trained in Jerusalem, they couldn't fathom that this could be Jesus, the Messiah. He didn't qualify. Yet the crowd saw him as the Messiah. As clear as it could be, he was here. And the crowd is chanting, save us now, save us now. And the Pharisees were telling Jesus, hey, quiet this crowd down. They're giving you you way too much honor and they're speaking of you as if you were the Messiah. Plus, the Roman fortress is right over there down the valley and and they can hear us. And if if this gets out of hand, they will just shut everything down. And we're not going to stand for that. Jesus says, I'm not saying anything. If they are quiet, these stones will cry out. What he's saying is this. All of creation is crying out for a Savior today. Not just people. The mountain is crying out. A much greater salvation than the, that, you're, that you aren't seeing, he's telling them. One where I free up everything from the grasp of Satan. From a much more powerful oppressor. One week from today, the rocks would cry out. The ground would shake. Tombs would open. And the righteous dead would come out, and the earth celebrates that I've battled with and defeated the prince of the power of air, you know, bringing you salvation. These crowds would never, were, 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 were never more ready for a savior as they celebrated Passover where God saved them from Pharaoh. In this larger crowd, there was a similar crowd that it really began to get it, to realize who he was. Mary was one of them. Simon Peter was another. Earlier he had said, I get it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're planning on saving us from the greater thing than just Rome. You will save save us from the the sickness, from the attacks of our mind, from the bondage of sin. Save us from the evil one. Even if Rome were defeated, there still would have been a bondage from sickness of sin. Jesus saves us from all of this. Saving us from, from what religion can't provide. For what medicine can't heal. From what money can't buy. From what we cannot save ourselves from. Save us now, they would say. Save us now. They would cry out to the Lord. This is a perfect time to be crying out to the Lord. Not for the, just for those who haven't seen the saving grace of Jesus at this point, but with all this virus going on and everything else, for us to get down on our knees and say, save us now. This Wednesday, I'm, I'm, I'm proposing for our church and for any of those that are out there watching to join us that every hour from 8 a.m. when we get up until I don't know what time you go to bed, you know, whatever time, every hour on the hour that you stop, you set alarm on your iPhone, on your watch, however you do it, set alarm and pray at the beginning of every hour for Jesus to save us now from this. We should be crying out to the Lord. But also we should cry out for the saving grace from hell for others. We all need saving from something. Especially until we get to heaven. All of us. His mercies are new every morning for a reason. We need them every morning. Save us now, Jesus. I mean, do you struggle Are you in a situation where you see the enemy of your soul and and he's trying to keep you from a Savior? Throw your hands up and say, I'm going to lay this at Jesus' feet. I'm going to ask for forgiveness and let him be in the middle of this situation. I'm going to let him save me. Jesus wants you to hear these words I can save you, he says. I can save you now. You know, religious people are famous for saying, I'm saved. I'm saved already. It's a wonderful message, but, but those are for people who are not saved. Glad, glad our pastor's teaching this. But we all need saving from something. I mean, hell first and foremost. But then beyond that, from sin in our life that's going on right now, or the situation we put ourselves into, or the situation that somebody else has put us into. We need to cry out for Jesus, for a big salvation, one that goes beyond hell, to save us from sickness, from fear, from sin, to be our, our total Savior. Don't pray a small prayer. You need, we need to be praying big prayers at this point. Throw it out there for God. He can handle it. But he also knows that whatever happens, and we should know this, whatever happens, it should always glorify God. In the middle of all this, all this chanting, as they crested over the hill, and he's riding on the donkey, and he's going down this narrow road down through the valley and across to to where the temple was. Jesus' feet are, are dragging the ground, and he sees Jerusalem finally, and his mood shifts. He starts crying. He wanted to save Jerusalem, but he couldn't at this point. The day would pass Jerusalem by. Some people figured this out, but most people wouldn't. Most people didn't. Wouldn't it be sad if we pass up an opportunity for Jesus to save us? To save us in in this life, in the life to come? To open our hearts to a saving grace beyond hell? There are those who who are listening now that that need to be saved for the first time. From Satan's grasp of hell. And there's those who, who need to be saved from the hurt or the pain or the sin or whatever situation. That is what we want to pray for. Save us now, Lord. Save us now. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those that are out there. I pray that you just, you, you have your Holy Spirit just touch them. That there are those that, are, that, that need to be saved for the first time. They need to understand your saving grace that saves them from hell. That, that, that's the direction they were going. But you defeated Death. You have the keys to, 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 to death. You've broken those chains. I pray that you send them to, to our church or other churches in this area, no matter where they're listening to this, Lord, that, that they would find a church once all this mess is over with, that they would find a church and plug in. But a church full of godly people, a church full of people who, who understand who you are and the grace that you've given out, that it's not about religious rules. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's about the grace and the mercy that you've given out. I pray for those that are going through difficult circumstances, Lord, that they would reach out to family and friends and, and the church, that they would contact me, that we can help people through you. It's about your grace and your mercy. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you during this time that you're at home. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Well, thank you uh, for being here today, and I hope you'll join us next week for our Easter service. And, uh, you know, we'll do an Easter service, and then later on we'll do another Easter service and and have some fun and, and really celebrate once we get back together. You guys have a wonderful day.